What's up, everybody? Welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. We're coming to you for another post-game podcast here in a another empty ball arena approaching midnight here, of course, because we got overtime, some free hockey era. So um, a, another good game out of Colorado. This one a little bit more heart-wrenching, right? A little bit more nerve-wracking for the fans, but Avalanche still finding a way to get it done. JJ, it's 11.49 p.m., and I am not going to sleep anytime soon. That was so much fun. Before we get to the game, let's just, like, take a second to kind of take in what we just experienced. That was so much fun. The crowd brought it from the opening face-off to the final buzzer, which wasn't really a final buzzer. It was a final goal horn for that Kilmacar overtime winner. That was just an incredible experience. But, yeah, a lot more gut-wrenching than than uh, game one, that's for sure. Uh, game one, the first period ended, and I pretty much had my game story written. Game two the game ended and i have not started writing yet because it's it's uh, you got to wash away everything you wrote in the first and second periods even the third so that was an incredible performance just a fun game to be a part of and it it kind of i don't know about you but to me it kind of had that feeling of like nashville stealing one pretty much the entire way through but it was like you just you knew the avalanche would come through and they did and who else but kale yeah i don't know about you but when overtime hits there's there's two parts of me that I guess two thoughts that I'm having right one of them is like all right come on let's hurry up and get this over with I want to get home the other one is like if we're gonna be here in overtime let's let's, go three or four let's drag this out let's Let's go let's let's make it historic exactly so it was kind of somewhere in between but no you're absolutely right with the with the puck luck that the avalanche were having I mean really haven't seen them have that bad a puck luck in a long time maybe all year you really felt like the Avalanche weren't going to be able to, I mean, they weren't capitalizing on a lot of their opportunities and you thought that it was going to bite them in the ass. Nashville was going to take it down and, and just get, you know, one lucky shot past Darcy Kemper. But luckily they got through it. The, uh, you know, the, the forwards hung in there. And I think Darcy Kemper also really ha- played a pretty solid game. I mean, he only had to save 26 shots, but they were there 26 were some big pivotal ones. There shots. There were some big ones yeah. in there. Before we get to Darcy Kemper, I want to talk about Connor Ingram. So... Here's what I saw, and I don't want to downplay his performance. I saw Connor Ingram made a, make a lot of saves with sheer confidence. Coming out, flashing his glove. Mm-hmm. I'm Connor fucking Ingram. Mm-hmm. I you know, have played four NHL games before this, but I'm going to stop the avalanche. But there were so many other shots where it was like, oh, dear God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, I, I hope I stop this. And, and it kind of felt like you know the puck luck was on Nashville's side. There were so many chances. Devon Taves to, Ar- to, to Val Nichushkin, or to, sorry, to Gabe Landeskog. There was another one with Nichushkin and Lekkinen where they have that backdoor play and they just miss it wide. There was a couple plays where Nathan McKinnon kind of pressures the Preds, you know, kind of let, makes them go toward their goalie and then pushes them toward their net. Is between the hash mark, shoots it, and it goes over the net. Kale McCarr, shot blocked which obviously he had 11 of those. So many times the Avalanche had that goal and then just it was blocked or they just missed it. Something went a little bit wrong, a broken stick here mm-hmm. or there. Obviously one overturned because of an unsuccessful coach's challenge. Well, it was overturned before that, but there were so many shots where it was like they have it and it, it just doesn't fall through. It doesn't, it doesn't go toward them and, and it doesn't go in their favor, I should say, and I'm kind of dragging this as, as a way to say that Connor Ingram was exceptional, but there was at least 15 or 20 saves where in that moment, and there's no way for me to ever prove this, but Connor Ingram had to be thinking, holy shit, how did that not go in? Yeah, 100%. I mean, we kind of talked about it all year, right? You remember that stretch of games where, and this was a quote out of your mouth too, and I really loved it. 
where they were winning games, but they weren't necessarily playing well, right? And it was a luxury to say, all right, well, it's so nice that we're able to learn these lessons and keep growing as a team while winning, despite the fact that we're not playing 100%. That's kind of what you saw tonight, right? The puck luck wasn't going their way, broken sticks, missed backdoor opportunities, but still found a way to win. You know, if this team's playing this way, because they dominated that game, the Avalanche did, if they continue to play this way throughout the series, I mean, it's going to be really tough for Nashville to even get one once they go home. I, I mean, I think the Avalanche still dominated tonight, despite the fact that the scoreboard read differently. Yeah, it was crucial for Nashville to get that game to overtime because if you're Connor Ingram and if you're the Nashville Predators, you can come away with this game. First of all, if you're the Nashville Predators, there's two ways you go about this. Number one, you're coming out of this game thinking, why the hell are we getting dominated to this extent? We should not. Like, this shouldn't be happening. Roman Yossi has been a non-factor. Matt Duchesne had a couple goals in game one, non-factor today. Philip Forsberg, aside from a five-on-three power play opportunity where he hit the outside of the post, non-factor. It was Yakov Trenin who scored the only goal, a depth guy, and he almost put himself through the fucking glass into row four <laughs> behind the net for from his celebration. But <laughs> number one, the National Predators have to be thinking, what is happening here? Because in the regular season, the Avalanche aren't out shooting us 51 to 26. The Avalanche aren't out playing us the way that they did tonight. Number two... They can at least say, we have a goalie. It's not UC Soros. He's injured. Who knows if he's back. He could still be back at some point, maybe game three. You never know. It's uh, certainly not David Riddick, who let in five goals on 13 shots. But Connor Ingram gave us a performance. And the reason why it was crucial for them to get it to overtime is because I truly, genuinely believe in the heart of hearts that Ingram was riding a wave of of, of confidence. And, and when things are going right, they're going right. That if the Avalanche, let's say, I don't know, let's say they got the 2-1 to one goal with 17 minutes left in the third period right after killing that 5-on-3, I genuinely think they would have put two or three more on Ingram. And his first and second and early third period magic that he had, that shine, would have worn off pretty quick. Because once the Avs got one, they would have gotten two or three more. And Nashville goes into game three, goes back home with their hands up like, what the hell else do we do? But the fact that it went to overtime, the fact that one goal is all you could score on him there, he's still kind of riding high knowing. I mean, 49 stops, I stopped the first. I, I let in the first one. I let in the 51st one. I stopped the 49 in the middle. I don't know. I kind of feel like it gives him a little bit of hope. Not much, but a little bit. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for the what-do-you-have-to-lose mentality, right? I mean, uh, uh what was it three weeks ago he was still in the ahl he had no plans to be in this game he had no plans to be in the playoffs so he's like hey i'm here i'm gonna make the best of it what's the worst thing that can happen so i think he just can't he he meaning connor ingram was able to approach this game with a clear mind and just was loose and and played like it played really well i think the nashville predators were able to slow the avalanche down a bit tonight right i mean despite the shots 51 to 26 like you said i still saw some neutral zone i guess pushback from Nashville. I think it wasn't exactly as effective as they wanted it to be, but I did see a little bit of adjustments from Nashville that I think they might carry into game three and four. But again, at the end of the day, what the, the, the firepower that the Avalanche are rolling with, and anytime you give these guys a power play opportunity, there's just too much weaponry, too much ammunition on this uh, team to really have any doubts in your mind after winning two, right? I mean, I think this game was the dagger, the haymaker, if you will. Uh, I think that five on three heading into the third period, that was yep. Nashville's last chance. If Nashville didn't convert there, you really felt that the Avalanche had momentum, they had control of the game, and that's exactly what it proved to be. And now I just think Nashville's caught with their hands up saying, we've got nothing. If we couldn't steal that one under the wings of Ingram, we're, we're not going to steal anything. 
Yeah, and I mean for Nashville, they they went into that five on three over uh, five. Sorry, five on three power play, and it was a minute fifty two of a two man advantage, and the best opportunity came from Kale McCarr, shorthanded. They were unable to create and generate anything, and and again, I'm I'm going to beat this dead horse to the ground. Roman Yossi has been a non factor. That's the biggest thing for, for Nashville right now. Roman Yossi played, I believe it was 27 minutes. He played 27-52. He had four shots, seven shot attempts total, five blocks. He was an even rating. He had one assist. But there was nothing there from Roman doing what Kel McCarr is doing on the Avalanche side. I'm not going into the whole Norris Trophy debate. I'm just saying your number one defenseman and your biggest offensive you know, tool. He's 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 better than Matt Duchesne and Philip Forsberg in terms of offensive production, and he's been unable to give them anything. The Avalanche have shut out, shut down Roman Yossi. They obviously, you know, have found a way to beat both of their goalies with you know UC Soros being a bit of a wild card here. What else can Nashville throw at them at this point? Let's get into Camel Car. We don't have to get to the Norse debate, but let's look at those shots from tonight, right? Heavy yeah. shot count out of Kale McCarr. And the only player Incredible. in the game to reach 30 minutes, he reached 31-37. So, 31 um, unless I haven't refreshed this. 31-06 for Kale McCarr. I've got 31-37 on my game sheet, so, you know, whatever edits they need to make, they're still working them out right got, now. Yeah, I see that. Okay, interesting. But still, you know, he, he hit... Uh, he played 31-plus minutes. Nobody yeah. else even got uh, past 30, so... Um, yeah, he, he played great. Obviously, they're car- he's carrying the team right now. He's pr- producing a lot, but we saw that same thing in game one, right? The superstars carrying the weight, and uh, that's what you had tonight. Kale McCarr getting a ton of shots, 11 on net, 11 blocked, one missed, and uh, Nathan McKinnon getting the goal himself, and he contributed quite a bit of shots too, eight on net, three blocked, and three missed. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and fix that Kale McCarr thing because you oh, and yeah. I just noticed this and I tweeted it out. He had 23 shot attempts, 12 of them on target, 11 of them blocked, zero missed. Just an incredible performance. Like, in what world is your number one defenseman putting 23 shots on, on net or, you know, 23 shot attempts and, and having 12 of them on goal? In 31 minutes, like 31 minutes, yeah, sure, the game went to overtime, but 31 minutes is a very normal, you don't want to call it normal, but a very achievable and attainable amount of ice time to play in 60-minute game. And he had 12 shots on goal and another 11 that were blocked, none that missed the net. 11 that were blocked, 12 on, like, it's crazy because he had 23 shot attempts. The entire Nashville Predators had 45. He was halfway, more than halfway to what Nashville had. And obviously, Nathan McKinnon himself had 14. You had uh, Nazem Kadri with 12, Val Nachushkin with 10. I'm talking shot attempts here. And the entire Nashville Predators had 45. Like, what Kale McCarr did tonight, um, I, I, like, you... I'm, I'm kind of just running out of words here. I'm speechless, and I'm kind of doing what Jared Bednar did when I asked him about Kale McCarr's play, and he smiled, and he said, uh, I believe his exact words were... I don't know what else to say. I've been talking about him for two years. Like, he kind of, like, laughed it off when he said that. Like, there was, there's no more words to really truly describe what Kale McCarr brings on a nightly basis. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm speechless here. It could be because Kale is an incredible talent, or it could be because it's 12 o'clock in the morning right now. It's midnight. But either way, just, a, just an outstanding performance from McCarr and one that, you know, certainly he's going to try to carry into game three. He plays the game intelligently. He, he's got a ton of skill to go with it. 
but he also just has this knack about him, right? I remember mentioning this earlier in the season. Success just follows this guy. I mean, you look at the game-winning goal, and you heard him a hundred times say it in the post-game presser. I was just trying to throw it on net. I had no idea it was going to go in. I had no idea it was headed that way. Um, it, it just went in for him, right? So he just does the right thing. He stacks the chips the right way and lets them fall where they may, and it's always in the right place. But looking back at that game-winning goal, there was a man on the ice that had a hand in the goal, so to speak, and that's Logan O'Connor. Yes, Wasn't sir. in game one, slotted in tonight for game two to replace Andrew Cogliano. Uh, I think he, he was okay tonight, right? He didn't really have too much of a present, but being on the ice for that goal and taking away Mark Ingram's eyes, jumping over the puck, having the knowledge and the wherewithal Connor, to be able bro. to jump over it. What did I say? Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram, the running back? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's getting late for us here. It but is. yeah, let's keep plugging through. Connor Ingram did not got his eyes taken away by Logan O'Connor. Um, Logan O'Connor Ingram. But uh, yeah, just I think interesting how it works that uh, he, he misses the first game, slots in the second game, and has an impact on that game winner. So he didn't just take away Ingram's eyes. If you'll notice on that game-winning goal, if you go back and look at the play, Logan O'Connor is tied up with Roman Yossi. And in that battle, Roman Yossi's stick goes flying because Logan O'Connor wins that battle. Roman Yossi's now out of the play. He's laying on his side in front of the crease and can't do anything. This is their number one defenseman. This is somebody that should be getting in the lane of the puck. And his stick is flying out. He's laying on his side because he lost the battle with O'Connor. Makar shoots it, goes in. Yossi gets up and just gets pissed off and slaps his knee and just skates off. All because of Logan O'Connor. So he played a big role in that, and it just kind of speaks volumes to the avalanche that, of course, Nathan McKinnon and Connor and Kale McCarr, Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon, excuse me, are your goal scorers. Of course, it's the stars leading the way. But at the same time, the one assist on Nathan McKinnon's goal was Eric Johnson. The two assists on Kale McCarr's goal were Nico Sturm and Devon Taves, and it was Logan O'Connor in front of the net doing all that. It's just, it's the depth pieces, the role players. I don't want to call Devon Taves a depth piece or a role player. He's a star. But the other guys, the guys that made it happen for the Avalanche were them. And they were the ones that gave Nathan McKinnon and Kel McCarr the ability to do what they do best. And that score goals in big, big moments. Yeah. Yeah. I like that breakdown for sure. And I, it was interesting to me to watch the body language of the Nashville Predators after that game winning goal. It's almost like they were expecting something to get called back, some sort of review. They were waiting on the ice, watching the replay, but one thing you knew for sure, they were disheartened. They yes. looked flattened. They had sticks on their knees. They were some of them still laying on the ice. They were they were that one for hurts all, for all for all that one hurts, intents man. and purposes. They were blown out. That one hurts. That's the uh, you know I know we kind of you and I were comparing this a little bit to the Andrew Hammond performance against mm -hmm. Nashville a couple years ago back in 2018, but that's the uh, Craig Anderson making 51 stops against the San Jose Sharks and the Avalanche getting outshot 51 to 17. Except in this alternate universe, Dan Boyle doesn't shoot the puck into his own net off Ryan O'Reilly. <laughs> San Jose goes and scores and just completely shatters the hearts of the Avalanche. Like, that's what that was. And, and you know, for Connor Ingram, you know that, you know, no hockey player goes into a series thinking, yeah, we for sure lost this. Like, the Predators genuinely believe they can win this series. I don't know about it anymore. But even down one nothing, they genuinely believed it. But if you asked every single one of those guys... And if you gave them some truth serum and they said, yeah, the Avalanche are going to whip our ass in four or five, six or seven games, every single one of them would at least admit 
that we needed to win that game for Connor Ingram. We needed to give him that, and they were unable to give him to, and that hurts. And what a big difference 2-0 versus 1-1 makes, right? 100%. I mean, at least right now, we uh, we still don't know if there's going to be a Game 5 in Denver on uh, Wednesday. Every other series minus Carolina versus Boston uh, has a Game 5 scheduled. The Avalanche and the Hurricanes are the only two teams to have a 2 to nothing series lead. Obviously, Carolina being the number one seed in their division and, and Boston being a wild card team. A uh, bit of a weird series there. I didn't expect Boston to get blown out like that. Granted, the Hurricanes have been dominating them. Um, but on the other side, you got the Florida Panthers who dropped game one, losing in regulation after having a lead through 40 minutes. They didn't do that all, all regular season. They did in their first playoff game, obviously rebounded today in a big way. The Tampa Bay Lightning getting shut out in their first game, rebounding in a big way in their second game. And today, the Calgary Flames, tonight being, you know, fr- uh, not Friday, Thursday night, losing to the Dallas Stars 2 to nothing with one of the goals being an empty netter. So... All of your top seeds, all of your good teams are kind of struggling right now outside of the Carolina Hurricanes and the Colorado Avalanche. And two games doesn't win you a Stanley Cup. Two games doesn't guarantee you a series. The Avalanche have not won the series. We've seen them take a 2 to nothing series lead and lose before. They did it against Minnesota in 2014. This is a little bit of a different situation here. But the Avalanche right now are feeling pretty damn good about themselves. That Going back to the very first thing I said. Game one, they came out and scored a lot of goals and rode that into the, you know, rode, rode into the sunset Tuesday night. Game two, they score on their first shot, 49 straight shots or 48 straight shots saved. And then they score on their last shot. And, and it was a different, completely different game. And they still came away with the victory. And that feels good. Were you surprised by both teams kind of toning back the physical side of the game tonight, right? It's, it definitely felt like... Both were trying to be a little more disciplined. Both stayed out of the post-whistle baloney and uh, just kind of played more of a hockey game tonight. Yeah, I mean, uh, we don't, we see this every single time we get to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Game one is the tone setter. Game one is the let's, you know, strap your boots and send your big guys out to set the tone, to show them that we're not scared, to show them for the next four, five, six, or seven games we're going to come at you. And then eventually the hockey gets played. Uh, the problem with game one is Nashville went down by a lot very early that there was no reason for them to start playing hockey. Sure, they, sure. they went out of their way to do what I was saying last game. They you know even attempted on multiple locations, even though Jared Bender downplayed it, to goad Nazem Kadri into doing something reckless. Mm-hmm. They were doing it over and over again. Tonight, no. They, tonight, you know, game two, they had an opportunity. They were, they were in the game till the very end. Like, Darcy Kemper made an incredible save in overtime. He doesn't make that stop. We're a series talking, of them, yeah. Yeah, we're talking about a completely different game right now. We're talking about a completely different series right now. Even though the Avalanche outplayed them, if they came away with a loss, right now the focus is on Nashville going home with a one-on-one series and home ice advantage the rest of the way. But obviously, crazy what one goal does and, and what it does in terms of changing the narrative, the storyline, and the dominance in the series and the fact that it literally, like, shattered what hope the national predators had and i and i mean that with all due respect like i i I understand they're going back home they can win game three and feel a lot better about themselves going into game four but that one just felt like like you said that felt like the dagger so early in the series yep hope and confidence you know could have gone either way tonight and fortunately it went the avalanche's way but you're going into Nashville here. You're going, what is Bridgestone Arena? That's not an easy there. place to play. That's going to be loud. It's Jared going to be called obnoxious. It hostile. Very Jared hostile. called it hostile, and that's what they are. Yeah, so uh, I guess we'll see what they can do in Nashville, but I think they're ha- they have their hands full. I mean, the N- Nashville 
is a team that's going to play them hard. They're going to play them even better at home. I think they're figuring out game by game a little more on what the best methods are to stop the Avalanche. At the end of the series, it's going to be too late anyway, but I do think they're making progress in figuring out a way to, to slow them down at least. So we'll see what these next two games bring on the road. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think one of my favorite stats, when you look at the hits, it was 57 to 53 for Nashville. Um, I don't know how that compares to game one. I can check real quick. Uh, in game one, it was 59 to 47 for Nashville. So the hits counts are still the hit count is still up there. With an extra half a period of play. Yeah, with an extra eight minutes, definitely. Um, Gabe Landeskog led the way for both teams. He's the only guy to hit double digits. He had ten. Now I want to talk about a guy we talked about in the first game, Nazem Kadri. Mm-hmm. He was one of two players, along with I believe Andrew Cogliano, to not have a hit in the first game. In the second game, the two guys without a hit are Sam Gerrard and Kel McCarr because he's fucking Nick Lidstrom. That's what he does. He doesn't need to throw his body around, and he's that smart. He can take the puck away from you. So those are the two guys without it. Nazem Kadri had one hit, and we all remember which one it was. It was when him and Landeskog went as somebody tweeted at me the bash brothers just completely annihilated i want to say dante fabro there behind the net in the first period nazim kadri is playing a good brand of hockey right now and i kind of want to ask you a question is this nazim kadri toning it down or is this nazim kadri dealing with an ailing shoulder that you mentioned to me in the first period yeah i mean uh I was going to try to maybe play it a little lighter and say an upper body. I don't want, you know, any Nashville Predator scouts maybe listen to our podcast and attacking anything. I don't think Yakov Trenin is listening to our <laughs> podcast, so we're good. But, no, I definitely notice uh, him favoring that shoulder a little bit. Yeah. I think back when he was injured a few weeks ago, kind of closing out the regular season, I thought the same thing. It looked like he wasn't um, shooting the way he's used to. It looked like he just wasn't using one of his shoulders the way he's normally uh, doing it. And then it, it, towards one of the – last regular season games i forget if it was st louis or nashville i saw him same thing favoring a shoulder even rotating it right making sure it's loose and nothing's clicking and everything's in its spot and where it's supposed to be tonight i saw him doing the same thing so i think there's a little bit of uh playing through injury here for Nas right now but uh it's the playoffs right i'm sure he's played through worse in his career and i'm sure a, a lot of players on the avalanche teams are playing through worse as well just kind of a a little bit of a bump and bruise but i i don't think it's anything too big to worry about because i still think he's he's making an impact out there offensively right he's still um, being oh, he's not... playing good. He's he's playing well. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm by yeah. no means kind of taken away from what he's sure. doing. He's playing incredible hockey, and he's he's playing on a line, you know, starting with Landeskog and Lekkinen and ending with uh, Nichushkin and Lekkinen. That is going to be a very big difference maker for the Avalanche, and it's nice to see that he is a factor. Mm-hmm. And that's something that he wasn't last year, even before the suspension. Again, I got to go back to this. Kadri wasn't having a good end to his regular season and not a good playoffs before the hit to Justin Falk that knocked him out the rest of the way. So it was really, and that was in game two. Like that was by the end of this, he would already be out. But despite the fact that he's got one hit in two games and hits don't mean anything, like it's not the end all be all. It's just a very interesting stat for me that Nazem Kadri, who's known for throwing his body around, is it the shoulder or is it him saying, let me take a little bit of a step back, chill out a little bit, let the Landeskogs and the Mansons and those guys do the hitting and fucking Nachushkin. Nachushkin has turned into a bully. Yeah, I mean, it could be a good combination of both, right? Like, hey, my shoulder's 
not 100%. I'm going to take it easy on the post-whistle stuff. And maybe that's why we saw Josh Manson so quick to defend him in game one, right? So um, just something to keep an eye on, nothing to raise any flags or, or uh, set off any alarms, but just some things we've noticed here from the press box watching these games. But, hey, I think that's a good breakdown today. Look at us, two podcasts Post games yeah. in a row. Um, I love it. I hope you guys are loving it as well. We're doing this for you guys, staying up late and working these late hours when we both have, have to be up early too because we got day jobs as well. So I hope you guys are loving it. We're loving doing these for you. Um, any closing thoughts from you before we head out of here? I guess let them know our podcast plan for the rest of the weekend and uh, let's get ready for these road games. Yeah, we're looking for uh, we're we're looking at a uh, long podcast after Game Three, whether it's Saturday night or Sunday morning. We will iron out the details. Obviously, JJ and I of Mile High Sports will be here in Denver, uh, traveling hopefully later in the playoffs. Peter Ball, the Athletic, the third part of our show, which you guys have obviously noticed, has not been on these post game shows. Um, has he's a busy lot, writing. Type, he's type, he's type. got a lot of writing to do, and he's got deadlines that I don't got. Thanks for typing into the microphone. Uh, <laughs> he's got the deadlines that I obviously don't have, so we don't expect Peter to be on every episode, but we will have him. He's going to be our boots on the ground in Nashville for uh, the games three and four, so we're going to call him in for those next two games, um, and we're going to talk to him and talk some hockey. I know he's downstairs right now, and he's a little upset that we couldn't wait for him. Because I know Peter's got some things to say about this game. That was a fun game. So um, It's been a fun series so far. It's been a fun series. We're two games in and, you know, it might only be two more games. Who knows? Or it could be a gentleman's sweep. I always like a good gentleman's sweep. A waste of eight days is what I'll call it. Yeah, is what Daryl Sutter says is a waste of eight days. Um, you're certainly wasting your time there while he's got, you know, one goal in two games against Jake Ottinger and the Dallas Stars. So, you know, I think Daryl Sutter's got to start worrying about his own series. Yeah. So, yeah, we will, we will talk to you guys again later this week, Saturday or Sunday. Uh, keep tweeting at us. We love it. Keep, keep the interactions going. We are so damn happy to have real hockey back with 18,000 people in the crowd and the buzz and the adrenaline. Like, it's 12.15 right now, and I'm, like, I'm, I'm wide awake. My ears I'm, are ringing. I'm not wide awake, <laughs> but my ears are ringing. I'm more wide awake than I was during regular season games that ended at 9.30 because of the atmosphere here tonight, even before overtime. Um, it's it's so much fun. I'm so happy to be doing this. And it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm praying for a long playoff run, not just because we want to see the Avalanche succeed, but because I don't want this to end. We're only two games in and I don't want this to end. So I know you're trying to close this out so you can go home. So let's do that. We will talk to you guys either late Saturday night or early Sunday morning with Peter Baugh, the Athletic, the third member of our glorious show. But that's it for game two. What a game. What a night. Right on. Well said. And uh, don't forget to check out our friends over at Total Beverage. You know, they do a lot like delivery, online wine education classes, even drink recipes. Yeah, you can even drink wine recipes. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. We enjoyed delivering it. If you made it this far on the podcast, again, it probably wasn't that hard, and you're probably full of adrenaline like us. So uh, just thanks for hanging out with us. Again, uh, let's make hockey for everyone. We got you.